Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Reflecting on his life and work in Boston during the Vietnam War, Unitarian Universalist Michael Ferber writes, One of us had the brilliant idea of holding a ceremony in a church where ministers and priests of all denominations would receive draft cards and convey the draft cards to the government declaring themselves moral accomplices. Right, I thought. All we need is a church that will allow multiple federal felonies to take place in its sanctuary. He thought it impossible to find such a place. Do you know already where this is going? Ferber continues, the Arlington Street congregation went back to Reverend William Ellery Channing, I learned, who had armed his parishioners and sent them to the Boston jailhouse to liberate recaptured fugitive slaves. Compared with that, what were a few draft cards? That was how Reverend Jack Mendelson felt, and he enthusiastically welcomed us. On October 16th, about 5,000 people showed up for a rally in Boston Common, including Howard Zinn and Noam Chomsky. And after a march to the church, about 200 young men walked solemnly down the aisle and handed their cards to about 100 clergy persons. About 60 men also burned cards at Channing's candlestick. I really do wonder which one it was. And while Ferber may have exaggerated the number of clergy persons at the ceremony, other accounts only list four, his recollection speaks to the enormity of what happened that day at Arlington Street Church. With Reverend Jack at the helm, Arlington Street provided a radical anti-war ministry to the city of Boston and to the country as a whole. Such a ministry was not always popular. As Reverend Jack himself described it, There would be a meeting going on in the sanctuary opposing the war, and there would be hordes of people outside opposing us and pelting the building with eggs. It required the Boston Mounted Police to maintain order. And yet, Arlington Street stayed committed to its prophetic cry that the draft and the war in Vietnam were wrong. I love telling visiting groups about our involvement in the anti-war movement. It makes me proud of our church that we have a history of vital public ministry, taking our values out into the public square and welcoming all those who stand on the side of love to work with us. It has also given me the impression that our church believes in pacifism But Arlington Street has not always been a center of anti-war sentiment. Our history is not one of pacifism. As Unitarian Universalists, we draw our diverse theologies and ethics from our personal experiences, community conversations, and from the vibrant history of our faith. 
Today, as we remember the sacrifices of those who have served our country during conflicts of many sizes, there are two more stories of Arlington Street at War and Peace that I would like to tell, reaching back further into our history beyond the ministry of this congregation under Reverend Jack Mendelson. I owe thanks to our own Holly Hendricks and to all those who believe in the importance of knowing our Unitarian and Universalist histories. Without them, I would not even have these glimpses into the lives of our former ministers and congregation. So thank you. Before Reverend Samuel Atkins Elliott II became the minister of Arlington Street Church, he was the president of the Unitarian Association for the first two decades of the 20th century. His plaque's over there. Although he is remembered for his dedication to international religious cooperation, effective organizational restructuring, and prison reform advocacy, he was very much a man of his times. And these days, he's probably best known for his oppressive work with the United States Indian Commission and for his belief that Unitarian churches should have manly ministers with masculine qualities and presence. Under Eliot's presidency, women were pushed out from the Unitarian ministry, and women did not return to it until the 1970s. It's so strange sometimes to be in Eliot's former pulpit. <laughs> During the First World War, Reverend Sam Eliot worked to promote a patriotic pro-war platform throughout our denomination. Even before the United States entered the Great War, Eliot believed that though peace was the greatest ideals of, hum of humankind, it had to be sacrificed for higher causes, such as national protection and pride. Assisting Eliot's cause was the former United States President William Howard Taft, who occupied powerful positions in the American Unitarian Association until he was called to be a federal Supreme Court justice in 1921. These two leaders of our denomination were so pro-war, in fact, that churches whose ministers did not support the war, war were de denied financial assistance from the national denomination. Ministers who vocally protested the United States' entry into World War I or supported conscientious objectors were removed from national fellowship. In Eliot's own words, I cannot help feeling that a minister or a church that fails to take its part in that fight is no better than a deserter dropping out of the firing line. Even in times of peace, it is not permitted to us to utter anything in public that we may think. If one seeks to scatter anarchical or immoral ideas by word of mouth or by means of tract or circular, he can be arrested and punished. In time of war, the people are more than usually sensitive and the toleration of opinions which are calculated to give aid and comfort to the public enemy ceases to be possible. Sam Elliott was minister of the Arlington Street Church just 30 years before Reverend Jack Mendelssohn's ministry here. It's incredible how the, the theology and morality of a church community can change so much in such a short period of time. Jumping back farther to the mid-1800s, we find the first minister of this physical church building, Reverend Ezra Stiles Gannett, 
successor to our famed former minister, William Ellery Channing, the father of American Unitarianism. Both of their plaques are at the back of the sanctuary, flanking the entrance. Again, we find Arlington Street caught up in America's war, its deadliest war, the Civil War, which ended with over 600,000 dead, or one out of every 50 Americans. Like his predecessor Channing, Gannett began his ministry uncommitted to the cause of abolition. For example, in 1844, when an anti-slavery resolution at a meeting of the, Amer of the Unitarian Association was given, Gannett opposed it as an invasion of the rights of conscience and the creation of a creed on the subject. Because of his ambivalence, many in our congregation left to join congregations led by more progressive and ethical ministers such as Theodore Parker and James Freeman Clark. The congregation that remained had such members as George Tickner Curtis, Boston's slave commissioner, who was in charge of sending fugitive African Americans back to slavery in the South. It wasn't until 1854 when Curtis had a very public prosecution of fugitive Anthony Burns that Gannett's heart was turned. Protests broke out downtown by Boston's black citizens and white abolitionist allies. Gannett stayed on the sidelines, but wept upon hearing that Burns had indeed been sent back to slave owners in the South. Although Gannett had become an abolitionist at heart, he could not bring himself to support the Civil War. Like Sam Elliott, Gannett was a patriot, preaching, I have loved the Union as dearly as perhaps anyone. I have clung to it as the guide and hope of the oppressed nations of the world. In public addresses, he would delay when he thought the proper moment would be for the North to go to war with the South, hoping against hope that a diplomatic solution would be found. As late as 1865, when the war had been going on for years, he preached that he was still prepared for the contempt with which an enthusiastic love of peace will be met. It seemed he believed that slavery was the lesser of two evils compared to the potential loss of the Union. Our faith teaches us to be mindful in our creation of personal ethics, forging them freely in the fire of our covenanted, shared religious community. I look back at these three men who led Arlington Street in times of war, and their collective legacy is unclear. One minister works tirely against the war, tirelessly against the war in Vietnam, another bars pacifists from fellowship, and another ambivalent about the force used to end the evil of slavery. What would they have us do? In looking for chalice lightings for today's service, I perused scripture from a few religious traditions. I chose verses from the Judeo-Christian Bible's Book of Isaiah that say that there's a hope for a time when the ways of the loving God are put into effect, and instead of increasing the machinery of war, all will beat their swords into plowshares. I love this vision of a worldwide beloved community that sees the divine in themselves and their neighbor and doesn't study war anymore. 
But the Bible is far from a pacifist document with God commanding the Hebrew people to go to war against any number of native peoples in Palestine. And I could have easily chosen a passage from the Hindu Bhagavad Gita, where in Krishna, the incarnation of the god Vishnu convinces the text's conflicted hero Arjuna to go to war with and kill his own extended family members. I could have easily chosen a quotation from the Buddha, who was quite clear that violence, even violence that in the short term prevents more violence, only then begets more violence. The legacy of scripture is unclear as well. Do the, end, do the means ever justify the ends? I think about how the ethics of war and peace affect us today. In the last 20 years, the United Nations has been involved in armed humanitarian interventions to stop violence in Libya, Rwanda, Haiti, East Timor, and former Yugoslavia. Some would argue that in such situations, the means justify the ends. Some argue that the United States should expand its war on terror in other countries such as Syria, North Korea, and Iran. And yet, I remember the tit-for-tat violence in our city streets and around the world. I remember that World War I only led to World War II, and that divisiveness between northern and southern states has continued to the modern day. I remember that while hiding in a boat in Watertown, Zohar Sarnayev wrote on the walls that they had bombed the Boston Marathon in retaliation for the violence wrought by American troops in Afghanistan and Iraq. As our forebearers show us, there are a variety of religious responses to war and peace. Over the course of history, there are no hard and fast rules or doctrine. These ambiguities are exactly why Unitarian Universalism is a free church covenanted to learn from the past and create a new future. When we see violence in our nations or in our own city or in New York, New Orleans or Newtown, do we believe like Eliot that while peace is an ideal, there are circumstances when it must be put aside? Or do we believe like Gannett that peace must be maintained at almost any cost? A community ethic about war and peace wrought through reflection and conversation is necessary before we once again have a public ministry as powerful as we did under Jack Mendelssohn. May we band together and choose our actions wisely. May we be guided by love and bring about the beloved community of plowshares instead of swords. May we honor all those who serve by creating a world where they have far less work to do. May it be so. Blessed be and amen.